Hello, and you're listening to Great Relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships, right now. And right now, I want to talk to you about my right thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Are you? (laughs) Well, I'm not quite so sure, and that's why I want to talk. In the last several programs, though we've been talking about family stressing and leftovers and Mm -hmm. lovers of self Mm -hmm. and self-love, I seem to think that what I am doing is creating some really good skills to impose my will on others. <laughs> so you're not listening or not applying the things that we're talking about here. Is that what you're trying to say? Doesn't the Bible say, love others as you love yourself? No, of course it's not. Isn't that interesting how often we hear this mindset of you got to love yourself before you can love others, and that isn't what God's saying there at all. And you've been talking to me the last several programs, and here I am saying, I've got to love myself better. (laughs) No, you aren't. Let me pray for you, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. Lord, we do thank you so much for your care for us, and thank you so much for your truth, and thank you so much that you do exalt us when we are thinking your way, and you provide guidance to us, and you definitely provide wisdom to us as we think according to what you have asked us to think about. And it has nothing to do with loving ourselves. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your word in your precious name. Amen. Amen and hallelujah. Thank you, sir. So here it is. If it's not about self-love, then what's it about? Let's swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. Ouch. (laughs) Yeah, it's all about humility. That's what it's all about. It's all about the idea when we go back to the problem and the solution for relationships, remember, the problem is we make everything about ourselves, which is the concept of self-love. The solution is to pursue the best for others, patiently, kindly, sacrificially, and unconditionally. One of the things that a lot of people don't understand, though, is you probably will not go in the direction of loving somebody, pursuing their best, if you haven't backed up and looked at some of these more basic foundational issues like humility. I'm not interested in humility if I want you to make me happy. I'm not interested in humility if I'm into self-love. I'm not into, into even considering pursuing your best if I'm not willing to consider you as better than me. Okay, you said pendulum. Mm-hmm. One swing of the pendulum is self-love. Right. You're telling me that at the other extreme is humility? It it has all of those components. Yes, without a doubt, the real swing of the pendulum is the opposite, is simply loving others, pursuing their best. But part of that pursuing their best does involve humility. If I'm not willing to, if I'm not willing to uh, uh, pursue humility, I am not going to be pursuing your best by any means. Up to this point, I'm thinking self-love, humility, they're to be in balance, right? No, absolutely not. They're exact opposites. They're exact opposites. In fact, hang in there, and I'm going to tell you what I believe is a very practical way for you to know if you're humble or not. Before we get there, I want to tell you that God exalts the humble. He gives guidance and teaching to the humble, and he provides wisdom to the humble. Those are three things that I want you to consider. And all of this is in the first part of chapter 12. And there's some wonderful verses that help us understand these type of things. Okay, so this isn't just your opinion. It's in Scripture. Absolutely. It's in Scripture. I mean, I'll give it to you that I can't ever say on any particular Sunday, I remember the pastor or somebody saying, God exhorts the self-love. God guides and teaches lovers of self or 
He grants wisdom to lovers of self. Never going to happen. Never going to happen unless it's coming from somebody that doesn't believe in the Bible. I mean, anybody <laughs> that's talking uh, talking from something other than God's word could be saying those things. But let's talk about that very first thing that God exalts the humble. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, and let me read this to you. I love this passage because it has so many things that can be discussed here. It says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That is a powerful scripture. Now, just think about this middle part, which is a quote out of the Old Testament. I can't remember where it came from. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Very important mindset to consider there. When you are proud, you are taking care of yourself. God is not interested. He's resisting you. When you're humble, he's taking care of you. That is a very important mindset to have. The math of this is very important to consider also. Let's take Matt and Carl and you and me, and if all four of us are proud, we're ending up taking care of ourselves. If, though, we're humble, we are looking out for the benefit for each other, and more importantly, God is giving us grace and taking care of us. So that's a very interesting thought when it comes to just considering the math of it. If I am proud, I've got to take care of myself. If I'm humble, I have God looking after me, and I potentially have others that are also humble looking after me. Great, great concept to be thinking there as it pertains to First Peter chapter 5. Okay, so out of First Peter chapter 5, you give me two crosses. By the way, that's Proverbs 29, 23. Okay. Um, and it shows up, and you mentioned grace, which covers that in James 4, mm-hmm. 4, 6. Mm-hmm. So my question is this. Does all of this take me back to the fundamental question? Absolutely. There is no possible way that you're going to trust God and cast your cares on him. And notice where that goes in First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 here. But there's no way that you're going to trust God if you don't believe that you can't provide an answer. I'm, I'm going to trust in myself if I think I can provide the answer. The fundamental question of life, am I going to trust God or trust something other than God? A humble person is willing to move into the trust in God because they aren't thinking that I can trust myself. They aren't thinking that I'm self-sufficient. They aren't self-absorbed. They are considering that God has the answers, which is all about verse 7 in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at this. It says, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. What is the precursor for me to cast my care on God? It tells me right there in the previous verses, humility. If I'm not willing to be humble, I'll never cast my care on God because I don't trust him. I only trust myself. That is very important that you bring that out. It ties us directly into the fundamental question of life. Don't trust him. Don't know him. Don't believe him. I mean, so the next question, forgive me, is our friend Jim Berg is always saying, if you don't understand God, if you don't have a proper view of God, You're not going to have a proper view of self. 
and you're not going to have a proper view of life. That's what God is telling us right here in this passage. Humility is a proper view of how life works, Herman. It's not pride. It, that is not a good way to look at life. If you're looking at life, you're going to have the wrong, from the pride viewpoint, you're going to have the wrong viewpoint of it. You, you, when you start understanding God, you see yourself correctly, and then you start seeing life correctly. I love that thing that uh, Jim Berg has. Proper view of God leads to a proper view of self, leads to a proper view of life. But even the non-believer can live civilly, no? Yes, absolutely. Any time any person moves outside of looking after themselves and starts pursuing the best for others, that is going to work best for the people that are around them. So, so in this case, if I have a view of I'm behaving in a certain way because of the common good. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a benefit to the people around them. And that's actually going to be a benefit to themselves, which is going to lead us into a very practical way to look at humility. But, <laughs> but, but before we get there, the first, the first thing is God exalts the humble. And the second uh, thing that we need to talk about is God guides and teaches the humble, then finally provides wisdom to the humble. Okay, so this isn't just Herman's opinion. You can actually mm-hmm. find it in black and white. First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. Proverbs 29, 23, and James 4, 6. This is great relationships, GR numeral 8 relationships, throwing some more numbers at you, but the scriptures <laughs> are more important, right? It's, it's not necessarily the address, but that we have them in his heart. Listen, we'll be back right after this. Great definitions for great relationships. We have all asked, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is never abusing them for the wrong they did to you, ever again, not in thoughts, words, or actions. Great relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships right now. Jackhammers, saws, pliers. Is your toolbox complete? Add some critical thinking tools to your kit as you listen to Worldview Academy's Bill Jack with simple tools for brain surgery. When Ben Franklin, then in his 80s, called the Constitutional Convention to pray, he brought agreement among the delegates. But many historians claim Franklin and the Founding Fathers were deists. A deist believes God wound up the universe like a clock, then set it on the shelf to run its time out, and walked away. For a deist, prayer would be nonsense. And if the majority of delegates were also deists, why didn't they scoff at Franklin's request? Were they hypocrites just seeking public approval? No, our Founding Fathers understood the need to seek the favor of the living God. true founder of this nation. Oh, that all elected officials understood what that old deist knew. Another simple tool for brain surgery. To add more tools to your kit, call 1-800-2411-123. listening to Great Relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. The website, Great Relationships, GR, numeral 8, relationships.com. Herman, before the break, we were talking about 1 Peter chapter 5, um, and you were giving me some verses. 5, five through 7, right. 5 through 7. Mm-hmm. But before the break, you were telling me that self-love and humility 
aren't balances, they're actually in opposition to one another. They certainly are in opposition to one another. In fact, what's going to happen here is if we are into the self-love issue, it's going to damage ourselves. Then that's going to damage our families and communities. And then it's going to damage the entire civilization, as we saw with uh, Dr. Carl Zimmerman's book, The Family and Civilization. If you remember right, what we talked about was he outlined three family styles. The first and second family styles have more focus on the community and the family. When you get into the third family style, it's all a focus on ourself. And that's when civilizations fall apart. And that's what God is saying. That isn't what I want you to be doing. Okay, but I had asked you before the break, even a non-believer will behave well. And the key point is, is that they're looking at the common welfare, not the ones of the individual placed over the common good. Right. And that's what humility is all about. Humility is about looking for the benefit of other people. See, that ties directly into love. So then even a non-believer would fall into an alignment with a believer with orthodoxy, with Christians, whatever you want to say, any time that they say, wait a minute, these selfish, self-centered needs will destroy society. Yes, there is no doubt that that a non-believer may actually be able to say that. They may be able to practice it for a little bit, but they have no energy source. They have no power to be able to continue it on a long-term basis. Whereas you and I, as believers, may act just like the non-believer because we aren't plugging into the power source of Jesus Christ in us to live through us. What happens with us is we aren't willing to abandon ourselves to him, and therefore pride enters the picture. Therefore, we're not willing to let him live through us. It has to be saying something about us. And that isn't humility. God specifically says in that 1 Peter chapter 5 passage, it's about exalting the humble. He's going to take care of all of that. And yet we keep going, look at me, look at me, look at me, what I'm doing. And wonder why he doesn't exalt us, why he doesn't give us wisdom. Yeah. So that's the first thing that we talked about previously is that he exalts the humble. He also guides and teaches the humble. Here's a great scripture, Psalm 25, 9. The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. Why is it that the humble can be taught his way. It's because we're not sitting there going, well, yeah, I know that. I know that. You know, I, I know what, what I need to know. No, you're willing to be a learner. You're willing to be teachable when you're humble. That is, that is something that too many of us don't have a lot of, a lot of energy for. Humility is willing to be a, a, a learner. A humility is not sitting around going, yeah, I know that. You don't need to tell me that. I know that. Uh, it's, it's a mindset that truly is saying, I know what I know, and I don't know what I don't know, and I'm willing to trust God that he's wanting me to learn something new. Even though I may have heard this before, I'm still willing to entertain it because I'm, I'm not, not the smartest, brightest bulb in the pack. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't help but go back to what you were talking about before, just in our scenario, right? There's four of us. There's you, there's me, there's Carl, there's Matt, mm-hmm. right? And people hear us, but there are two other people that make that possible. And Absolutely. I can either seek my own need 
or relax, trust God, not only do I get God taking care of me, but I get the three of you. Why do I want to push away from that and just sit on myself? It just shows you how powerful our sin nature is to get us to focus on the wrong things. We end up focusing on fiction rather than reality. The reality is humility is much more to our benefit than trying to be proud and get all the pointers uh, uh, focused on me and all the, the flashing me's on our foreheads and all this other stuff. Let's finish up these three parts. You know, he not only exalts the humble, he guides and teaches the humble, but he also provides wisdom to the humble. We saw that in that Psalm 25, but Proverbs 11 too, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. You're going to know how to operate in life because you're not trying to hide things from other people. You're not trying to look a certain way. You're simply being yourself when you're humble. You're simply going not from the sin nature self. That isn't what I'm saying. I'm saying that you simply aren't trying to put on an act with people. You don't try to act like you know something when you don't really know it. Uh, you, when you learn and you apply, you end up uh, ultimately helping other people. That's what this whole idea is. He exalts the humble, he guides and teaches the humble, and he provides wisdom to the humble. And then we sit back and go, yeah, but why do I need humility? That's the reason why it's such an underrated attribute. It's something that most of us don't set out to say that we want to attain humility. We might say it glibly, but for the most part, we don't see a real benefit in it. And look at those three huge benefits. God exalts the humble. God guides and teaches the humble. And he provides wisdom to the humble. And we sit back and go, well, I can take care of myself. You know, that's awful. God exalts the humble. He guides and teaches the humble. And he provides wisdom to the humble. Do you think that's because the humble are trusting on God? Absolutely. It's 100% that. And I think we don't do, I, I'll speak for myself here. We, I don't do humility. I don't tend to look at humility because I see it so abstractly. Until I started figuring out there was a better way to look at humility, it is, it is substantially better to figure out what is the key action of humility. And I'm going I'm to lay that out there for you. We're not going to talk about it just yet because I want to get a definition of humility. Great. Here we go with this dynamic <laughs> tension. But then I want to ask you this. You have told me that self-love is not a proportion with humility. Self-love is in opposition to it humility. It is opposition. You say that reality is an acquired taste. Mm -hmm. Is humility an understanding of reality? Does it go back to that Jim Berg quote? Absolutely. Humility is an acquired taste, and it is looking at reality. Because fiction or being proud is putting you into this fictitious fantasy of you having, having this... Uh, abilities or this uh, mindset or this image that is not true, that, that you actually are worth anything. You're not worth anything apart from Jesus Christ himself living in you. That's, that's our only worth. And that's what we have a tendency to fantasize about. No, I'm actually, I've got billions of dollars, some people might say. Well, I'm, I'm worth a lot. No, you're worth nothing compared to what God is and what he could do through you as a opposed to you being proud about what you have. That's, that's worthless in the scheme of things. 
Humility is reality. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to, because we have Jesus Christ being the, the meek and gentle. He was the most humble. And what we can see that happen, how that happened is in Philippians chapter two. He but humbled say, himself to the cross. You say meek and gentle, and everybody gets this very effeminate view of Jesus. And what meekness is, is power under control. Thank you, because that's where we wanted to go. The idea of the definition of humility Here's the definition. You look in Webster's and you see not proud, haughty, or arrogant, freedom from conceit or vanity, suggesting a total lack of pride and arrogance, unpretentious. Okay, I don't know. That doesn't do a lot for me. I mean, I can understand the words, but I do not know what to do with that definition. But I can do something with this definition. Let me throw this one out. Similar to meekness, humility can be defined as strength under control. Now that, I think, will make sense for me. I can figure that one out. I can start, and especially when I couple it to the key action of humility. So you mean not yelling at my wife or not imposing my will on others or not being manipulative when I can? Well, let's talk about that. It's really important that we start getting an understanding what this strength under control is. Let's definitely talk about that. Well, yes, please. (laughs) I'm sitting here like a a deer in the headlights, right? I'm in a daze because you read that definition out of Webster's, and I'm like, what do I do with that? That's exactly right. What what do we do with it? And I can tell you for sure you can do something with this simple little definition, strength under control, and we'll tell you that. Okay, we'll look at that right after the break. But before the break, Herman, this comes from... The great leaders, excuse me, great relationships website, grnumeral8relationships.com. What chapter? Chapter 12, the first part of chapter 12 called Observational Listening. Observational Listening, chapter 12, great relationships, that's grnumeral8relationships.com. We'll be back right after this. Great quotes for great relationships. When stress hits the system, pathology overrides theology every time, unless you are sold out to the truth. Dr. Marlon Howe. Great relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships, right now. Relationships can be great, and not just marriages or romantic relationships, all relationships. The Bible offers the same solution to what is essentially the same problem. What is the problem and what is the solution? Study along with us to find out. Great Relationships is a video course offering biblically-based insight on relationships. In each video, watch Herman tame tough issues by discussing them in a casual online learning environment. Each of Great Relationships' 12 chapters are subdivided into quick segments you can squeeze into a coffee break. So if you've had time to listen to this promotion, you have the time to sign up and start today. Visit our website at greatrelationships.com. That's G-R-numeral-8-relationships.com to sign up for our free newsletter. Pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships, right now. Oh, 
Hello, and you're listening to Great Relationships, Pursuing the Best in Work, in Life, and Love. We're talking about humility. Herman, before the break, you were talking about strength under control. You were defining humility for me. What do I do with this? Right. Let me read that definition again that's out of Webster's. Here's the definition of humility. I may have removed a few of the words out of it, but I think this is pretty much straight out of Webster's. Uh, Not proud, haughty, or arrogant. Freedom from conceit or vanity, suggesting a total lack of pride and arrogance. Unpretentious. Yes, I am just like you. When I read that and have studied humility in the past, looking at it going, what do I do with that? How do I, how do I know that I'm moving in the right direction? How do I know that that is correct? There's some very meaty things there, but it's very abstract for my brain. I just looked at it, said, not in my neighborhood. <laughs> Next. <laughs> so instead of using that definition, I, I decided I wanted to use a definition that's always, that's often used of meekness strength under control. I think that is a good definition for humility also. Humility is strength under control. Here's a little example that I would uh, offer to you to help understand that. You can have nuclear energy, right? And that can come out in the form of a bomb, correct? That's, okay. that's very powerful. It's very strong, right? I can boil water and make electricity, or I can have a bomb and boil that's people. That's exactly the opposite. I can have nuclear energy as an energy-generating electric plant or for the submarines that you used to be on. and those t- that's, that's very much under control, right? And that's what we want to be thinking about for humility. Humility is not saying, you know... I'm, I'm just going to show you who I am. That's self-love. I'm going to show you who I am. Humility is saying, I've got a lot of opportunities to utilize the strengths that I've got, but I'm going to maintain them under control until they're needed. And then it's not going to be, look at me. It's going to be, uh, can I be a benefit in this situation? Can I be a benefit to you? It's strengths that are under control. It's just like Jesus Christ, who is God, and he came and acted in the form and the body of a man, truly strength under control is only willing to do what the Father told him to do. So you want me to walk into a room and say, how can I serve, rather than walk into a room and say, here I am? Absolutely. That's a great distinction. Notice the opposite swings of that pendulum. You could be a person that has exactly all of the right skill sets for any particular situation. And if you walk in the room and you have all of this, these wonderful skill sets and you're all about you, you're going to announce be, me, please. They yeah, need to know who I, I am. I'm here to save the day <laughs> as opposed to you walk in the room and you have humility as a key, key mindset. You're willing to ask questions. You're willing to go, do you need any of this type of stuff that I could possibly do for you? I'd be glad to be glad to help. It's it's not trying to share everything that you've done in your life to get people to look at you. It's willing to simply plug in and be used by other people to potentially provide a benefit. This is so powerful for leaders also. We teach it in our great leaders. It's so, so powerful, so important. One of the six key values that we believe are absolutely essential for leaders is humility. Now, here's what I want to leave everybody with, though. I told you that 
there is a way that I think you can make this very, very practical. Yes, the little definition, strength under control, can help you think about it. That I I didn't know what to do with, so this is my one thing. This is your one thing. If you want to start thinking about humility in a very practical way, there's one action that you can follow, the one action that you can focus on that will help you determine whether or not you're moving in the direction of humility. Now think about Jesus Christ. What did he do? He came to serve us. That's the key action. Humility is all about service, being service-oriented. That's what you can know about whether you're being humble or not or moving in the right direction. If you have a mindset that is, I'm willing to serve, it's not just an attitude. It's active. It's involved with looking at others and saying, am I willing to serve them as opposed to trying to get them to serve me? Because humility is not about flashing your me. Humility is about putting others in the forefront and you being a service for them. So the one thing I want you to remember is that humility, if you want to understand humility, the key action of humility is service, being service-oriented, thinking of others. And notice how that directly ties into pursuing the best for others, patiently, kindly, sacrificially, and unconditionally, which is love, right? Wow. Thanks. Okay, if you don't mind, and I'm going to ask you next time, I really want to pull the string on how humility is great for leaders, Okay, if you would allow that. Again, this material is coming out of Chapter 12, 12 right. on the Great Relationships website. That's greatrelationships.com. And you know what? We thank you for your prayers and your faithful support. You can also write us at Great Relationships. That's Post Office Box 51836, Midland, Texas, 79. 710, Post Office Box 51836, Midland, Texas, 79710. Great relationships pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. It takes right thinking for right relationships right now. So, hon, uh, how many of the family are coming over this time? Looks like we'll have a full house, again. What are we having? Same as always, turkey and stressing. Stressing? What causes the stress? Have you not been at the last few family get-togethers? Can't you tell it's always more stressful? The more family you add to the equation, the more stressful it gets. I'm a grown adult and I feel like I've turned back the clock and I'm in grade school again when mom arrives. (laughs) That's funny you should say that. I feel exactly the opposite, like I'm the only adult in a room full of kids. There must be a better way, a way where we all seek each other's best and enjoy our family time. By the way, when we have family gatherings, I'm worried that you could actually think you ever act like an adult. Don't be a turkey. Join Herman and Paul for their next show to learn how to take the stressing out of family relationships.